Now let's go to the scripture reading for today. We're continuing in our series in the book of Hebrews, and today we're looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think the author of Hebrews is teaching us something here today that we can often take for granted, and that is this incredible, amazing truth that there is a God who has spoken and who continues to speak. Now, uh, before we dive into that deeper and unpack what this passage is saying, um, I want to address very quickly two uh, common reactions that you would get to uh, encounter when you say something like that that God speaks. One is a cultural uh, reaction, and the other is what I might call a hyper-religious uh, reaction. Uh, the, the cultural reaction goes something like this. Um, uh, wait a minute. Are you, are you actually saying that not only is there a God, but He speaks to you? And um, the God that you subscribe to and the sacred writings that you uh, hold to be true are the only true ones, and all the other gods are silent, How can you claim something like that, that uh, makes uh, your faith so exclusive and and your position so dogmatic? Doesn't that tend to uh, make people intolerant of others? And I think that's something that you can commonly hear. Um, And I think at some level, it's actually a reasonable um, objection. Um, But here's the problem with that. Um, The trouble with this is that our culture... Um, is not actually holding on to its own standards. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, when it comes to having an exclusive view, uh, it, it takes another set of exclusive views to exclude those views. It takes one absolute claim to say that, that absolute, the other absolute claim is incorrect. It takes one set of dogmas to reject another set of dogmas. A simple way of putting it is it takes one to no one. Um, everybody, in a sense, is saying, um, I, I have received uh, the true word or information or set of beliefs, and whatever disagrees with that is, is wrong. And that's inevitable. And, and the only question is, how can we lovingly treat those who disagree with us? And not to say that uh, nobody should hold any kind of truth claims or absolute claims. Uh, that's not how we function in, in society. Truth is everybody's holding on to something as if it is the absolute truth. The only question is, which set of doctrines and uh, which set of exclusive claims do you subscribe to? And so um, that's something that we can lovingly communicate to our neighbors, uh, to our friends, our coworkers. Um, Even as we try to hold on to our convictions, uh, we can lovingly communicate these things. And there's this other common reaction to this, and this is what I might call an overly zealous, overly religious uh, reaction. 
Uh, this is the kind of reaction that can stem from being overly zealous about hearing uh, from God directly. And it has a tendency to draw people away from the written word of God uh, to um, our feelings and our experiences or, or to something that is new, a, a newly revealed uh, word of God. And so this can make people susceptible to um, uh, uh, teachers who say, I've received a, a new word from God. Uh, for you, and uh, thus saith the Lord, and so on and so forth. And the, there's a lot of problems with that, but one, one obvious problem is uh, the problem that you run into as soon as someone else comes along and says, hey, God has told me uh, the exact opposite thing as, uh, than what this person is saying. Then you end up with a very incoherent uh, spiritual life of not being sure, not knowing what is truly uh, the Word of God. And that is not what God left us with. God left us with the written Word of God uh, conveyed to us through the apostles and, and the prophets. And, and everything we hear ought to be tested. Even what you're hearing now ought to be tested according to the apostles' writings. So um, that's those are the two sort of common reactions that you might get to this idea of hearing from God. And that's what you have to keep in mind uh, to center yourself, uh, to um, be anchored in the scriptures. And what the author of Hebrews is presenting us today in the, in the scriptures is the big picture understanding of how to approach God's written word, how we have to understand both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and um, the difference between how God spoke to the prior generations and how God speaks to us in these last days. And we'll talk about both of these, but focus a little bit more on um, the latter. So first, take a look at verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay. Now, what you see here is the when, the how, and the who of God speaking. Long ago, that's the when. At many times and in many ways, by the prophets, that's the how. And to our fathers, that's the who. Now, the most immediate takeaway that we get from this is that God didn't just start speaking to his people when Jesus entered the scene. God has been speaking to his people for a very long time. He's always been speaking. In other words, God has not been silent. He has always been vocal and speaking even before Jesus came to the scene through his prophets. And that's recorded in the prophets' writings in the Old Testament. And you know what else? This is very important. That the author of Hebrews, being an Israelite himself, and um, saying this in the very first verse, he clearly and absolutely loves the Old Testament scriptures. He cherishes it, he values it as the authoritative, inspired word of God, as should we, as, pe as the people of God. What we need to hear from the author of Hebrews is that the Old Testament is absolutely the word of God. And his intention is not to say that the Old Testament is in any way irrelevant to us today. Uh, but he, what, we, what he will try to communicate to us is that uh, through the coming of Christ, the scriptures have been brought to completion. That apart from Christ, the Old Testament in and of itself is incomplete. Not irrelevant, but incomplete. And that we have to uh, look at how God has fully and most completely uh, revealed himself through Christ. Uh, the Old Testament can be understood almost like a play uh, without a final act. Uh, it's almost like um, Avengers Infinity War uh, without Endgame. 
Uh, Christ is the end game. Christ brings the story to completion. Okay? The whole story hasn't been told until Christ is told, until Christ is conveyed to us. Uh, Jesus, in a sense, is the answer uh, to the question that the Old Testament is raising. Okay? We say Jesus is the answer all the time, right? To what? To what question? Um, and, and that's what we turn to the Old Testament for. So it's vital for us to understand what the Old Testament is saying. To quote Michael Kruger, the theologian, Jesus is not the beginning of a new story, but the finishing of an old one. We have to keep this in mind uh, as we look at the book of Hebrews and not treat the Old Testament as if it's irrelevant to us. It's entirely relevant to us. It's vital for us to understand that. Now, that's a fairly big point, uh, but Here's the big, even bigger point uh, that the author of Hebrews presents to us, and that's in verses 2 and 3. And it is this. As important as the Old Testament scriptures are, uh, as inspired as it is, as authentic as it is, Jesus is the better revelation. Jesus is the superior revelation. Why? Because Jesus has brought to us, the people of God, the final and fullest revelation of God, and thereby ushering in these last days. Take a look again at verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. It says here that God has spoken to us in these last days. What does he mean by that? Uh, notice, first of all, when he says these last days, he is referring to his present time. Uh, that's what he means by these last days. And that's interesting, isn't it? How could he be uh, referring to his time when he's talking about the last days? Wouldn't that make the last days very long last days? Because this was written some 2,000 years ago. This question comes up very often um, when we hear the words last days because it's been 2,000 years and um, the so-called last days has been ongoing and Jesus still hasn't returned. Uh, this, I believe, is mainly due to the reason that we are not understanding the meaning of last days the way that Hebrews understand. and the, author, the biblical authors understood the phrase the last days. What they understood to be eschatos. Uh, we have to understand this from their context. We tend to think of last days um, in terms of quantity, uh, in terms of the number of days, months, or years. But the biblical authors used the phrase last days very differently. Um, for them, the matter at hand uh, was not the quantity of time, but the quality of time. Uh, it's the kind of period that you're in, not how long that period is. It's meant to tell us uh, not, that, not that there's about a hundred years left until Jesus comes, but that the final and full revelation of God has been revealed. And all that remains is for God to return and bring his kingdom down and establish the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, that final and full revelation is found in Jesus, who is the Christ. And that means we're living in the last days. And it also means this, that you and I are today living in the most unique time in the history of the world. It's the time period in which God 
has already fully revealed and, and fully disclosed all of himself in the person of Jesus Christ. I saw uh, one comedian, uh, Conan O'Brien, tweet this the other day, that his first thought after seeing a footage of um, UFOs is this, guys, could you come back at a better time? Another meme I saw was uh, from uh, the movie Back to the Future, and Doc was saying to Marty in that meme, Marty, whatever you do, don't go to the year 2020. I thought that was kind of a lighthearted way of describing just the kind of time that we're in, the season we're in, and the year that it's been for us. And, you know, all jokes aside, um, it has been a troubling time. It has been a time of great loss and, and suffering and pain for so many people. But here's what the author of Hebrews would have the church here. And so we have to give ear to this. Here's what he is telling us. That all the glorious things that God promised in the Old Testament has been revealed, has been given to us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has come. He has come and he has won. And so that means that all that God has promised, all that God has revealed in the Old Testament, we have seen it in its fullness and we're witnessing it through the pages of history. This, in other words, is an incredible time to be alive. It is a privilege to be living in these last days. We're living in a time when God is no longer speaking to us through the prophets, through an intermediary, um, but a time when God has himself come into the world. Uh, in these last days, God came himself. And certainly when we hear the word last days, uh, it is true that there's a sense of biblical urgency uh, when the authors use that word time and time again. Uh, there's a sense of urgency in how we are to be missional and share the gospel with those around us because the time is near. Uh, that is true. There's no doubt about that. But uh, here's what we should not miss. Uh, that being part of the last days comes with a privilege and a joy. It's the joy of having in our hands the very final and the fullest revelation of God. God has not come to us through a prophet. He has come to us himself. There was a few good years during my graduate school life um, and my brother's undergrad years when my parents were living in Korea and we were apart for uh, quite a while. And in terms of communication, all we had was um, Skype and email and, and that kind of thing. And uh, this was going on for, for a few years. And then one summer, I uh, paid a visit to my brother in California, in San Francisco, and we're just hanging out in his room, just chilling. And um, I suddenly get this random call on my phone from an unknown number. I pick up and it's my dad. And um, we're just surprised that he would just out of the blue call us. But what surprised us even more is what he said. He said, hey, I'm here. And we're like, what do you mean? What do you mean you're here? Like, like here, here? And he's like, yeah, I'm here, here. I'm in San Francisco. And I came to see you guys. And um, he, without any advance notice, just uh, landed and made his way to where we were staying at the time. And it just shocked us. Uh, and it shocked us all the more because it was, uh, it's been a while since we were face-to-face uh, -face, uh, seeing each other. But it was a very sweet uh, and enjoyable and delightful time. 
That's what it's like for the church today. Uh, It's to hear God himself say to us, hey, I'm here. I'm here. When you think about Jesus, is this what you think of him? Is this what you consider that Jesus has revealed the fullest uh, picture of who God is to you because he himself is God, that he himself is Yahweh in the Old Testament. He is Jehovah in the Old Testament, that Jesus is God. The author is telling us that in just these two verses, how Jesus is uh, the better prophet, the better priest, and the better king uh, because he is God. And so let's go beyond just understanding Jesus as the the person who came and took away our sins. And he did that, and that's amazing. But he is so much more than that. And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to show us. First, he says uh, here, he makes purification for our sins. And that's referring to the priesthood of Christ. Jesus is the better high priest who offered not an animal but himself so that our sins would be taken away once and for all. Once and for all. And it says here also that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And this is because unlike the Old Testament uh, priests, Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to take away our sins. So he's able to sit down after he has finished it all. After he has torn the curtain in the temple in two, there's no more sacrifice to be done. The people of God can draw near and God can sit in his throne and, and be worshiped. We can draw near to him. But notice here also that he is the heir of all things. That's referring to his kingship. It's pointing to his kingship. He he will sit on the throne as the ultimate king, as the ultimate conqueror and ultimate ruler. That's what it means that he is the heir of all things. We have to catch that image of who Jesus is. And that he also created the world. In the Jewish worldview, um, nothing is more explicitly divine than that, that he created the world. Um, He's an uncreated, almighty God. Uh, The primary mark of divinity is that. And verse 3 just seals the deal. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So you see what the author of Hebrews is doing here is attribute after attribute. He is pointing us to Jesus's divinity. That Jesus is God. That he is Yahweh. He is the great I am. See, he's telling us, don't just look at Jesus as the forgiver of your sins. See him as the ruler of all and the ruler of you. Is that how you indeed see him? Do you see how he is the better priest, how he is the better prophet and the better king? Let that, let that increase your understanding and your, your enjoyment of the person of Jesus Christ. And let it increase your appreciation for his sacrifice as well. That he didn't simply lay down his life. He laid down his throne. He laid down his glory. He laid down his kingship for you. And in this way, I think the the author is encouraging us to walk more closely and more fully with Jesus and enjoy him for all that he is. Discover him for all that he is. I'll close with this. Uh, One of my favorite martial arts movies of all time is a movie called Dragon, starring uh, Donnie Yen, a great uh, Hong Kong martial arts actor. And in the movie, Donnie Yen stars as this 
starts off as this very kind, ordinary uh, farmer who lives in a village with his wife and two sons. And seems like a very ordinary man, just being, being a normal farmer. Um, but one day, two bandits enter his village and threaten to kill the villagers and rob the villagers of their material things. And, and uh, by chance, um, this farmer was nearby and he somehow, by sheer luck, uh, kills the bandits, saves the villagers and restores order. And the villagers celebrate him and uh, he becomes a local hero in the town. But here's what happens. A couple of days later, a very um, capable investigator comes into town. He's like the, the ancient version, ancient Chinese version of Sherlock Holmes. And he investigates what happens. And uh, what he discovers is that the bandits were not killed by sheer luck, but that they were actually killed by a great, highly skilled martial artist. And, and then that opens up this whole new world in the movie where you discover, you begin to discover that this farmer wasn't actually just a kind, ordinary farmer. He actually turns out to be this great warrior, one of the greatest warriors of his time. And that just made the rest of the movie very exciting for me in, in just discovering more of his story, his history, and also his character and who he truly is. I, in a sense, I think what we're doing, what we're going to be doing through the whole book of uh, Hebrews is investigating more closely the person of Jesus Christ and all that he is to us. Um, he didn't just defeat sin and death by sheer luck. He wasn't just this kind, ordinary carpenter. He's a great warrior. He is a great king who conquers and subdues all his and our enemies and brings us our freedom. And brings us into his kingdom. And he's sitting on his throne even now. And I hope you will be able to see that through the pages of scripture. I hope you'll be able to draw near to that and expand your understanding of who Jesus is. And come to enjoy him more fully for who he is. So friends, uh, if you're wondering just how you can draw closer to God during this season, this very challenging season of sheltering in place, uh, this is it. It's, it's by enjoying Christ for all that he is. If you're wondering what God is saying to you during this season, what God is speaking to you, it is this. Christ in his fullness. He is the fullest revelation of who God is, the exact imprint of God's nature. Look to him. He is God's speech. He is God's word. He is God. So let's draw near to him. Let's keep our eyes on him. Let's meditate on his words. Let's seek to obey him by entering into his mission, seeking his kingdom. And also let's enter into what the Bible calls the spiritual battle, the battlefield with him, with our king who has won the war. Let's trust in him and walk with him. He is God. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. And we can follow him. We can walk closely with him in these last days. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for sending us your son, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sins, but also the King of Kings, 
who will rule, who, who is ruling on his throne even now, and that we can lean on, we can trust in, and we can depend on forever. God, help us to know him more and more. Help us to walk with him more closely. Help us to not neglect the great privilege you've given us in these last days to know him, know him as the fullest revelation of who God is. God, we thank you and we praise you for that. And we pray this in his name. Amen.